0: Two things, we're in a series right now called the One Anothering Series, where we're basically going through the New Testament and we're looking at a number of the instructions that were given to the early church about what their life together should look like, that now that they've been born again into a new family, into a spiritual family, how does that family play out in their relationships? And, and oftentimes it's countercultural to the surrounding culture or even to the culture of their immediate family, the, the culture that shaped them. And so uh, we're looking at these things, and, and, and gosh, it's been really rich. Um, it's, been, it's been helpful, it's been uh, corrective, uh, it's been instructional, it's been really good. Uh, having said that, so this week we've been in, in a passage, or a, the theme has been forgive one another. And um, we've been in that in our devotions. Uh, as for our message this morning, we're actually not going to be in that message. We're going to do that next week. We're going to resume that series. But over the last two Sundays, we've been doing a two-part series, uh, leaning into our faith story, and so this began with the desire to one to um, to remind ourselves that one of the most powerful things that we can do is to share the story about how we encountered Jesus. Um, I was at a I shared last week. I was at a conference uh, in Chicago. I think um, no, it was it was Columbus. Uh, A while back. And there was a pastor there who every time somebody sat down at our table, we were sitting in the lobby of a hotel. Everybody was checking in for the night, getting ready for the conference that was starting in the morning. And every time somebody sat down, these were all primarily pastors, he would say, hey, so tell me how you met Jesus. And it was such a powerful thing just to hear people's faith stories. And so um, that's part of our life together is like not just greeting one another by name and knowing each other's names, but actually going deeper than that and hearing our faith stories. And, um, and there's something that's, that's endearing about that. It, it draws us together, and it also builds our own faith and reminds us of what God is doing. And so last week, we looked at, at our faith story as a movement as we heard John Wimber, who's largely credited as the founding pastor of the Vineyard um, movement, which... Uh, and so we're, we're about 40 years old now as a movement. We're moving, you know, we're, we're pretty much a second generation movement now, but it's the founding of the first generation. So last week, we watched his testimony up to the point that he became a believer and, and a follower of Jesus and, and, um, and had that new birth experience. And as we resume that message today, what we're going to be picking up is, is how then did that man who was, you know, who got saved out of, you know, the, the Las Vegas uh, drug scene and music scene and all of that, how did he become the founder of the Vineyard Movement? And so that's where the story picks up today. There's a reason b- beyond this that we're actually telling the story, and I'll share that after the video's over, but um, I will just say a couple things uh, about it. One, you'll notice that it was, this was filmed in the 80s, the early 80s, so it's a little bit dated, not only the, the video, but everything about it's a little bit dated, and yet the message is still, um, this is our history, this is our, this is our story. Right? The vineyard movement is actually a global movement of churches and uh, and yet this is this is our story. And what we're looking at is what is it that God entrusted to us uniquely? Like what is this thing that you know, we there's many streams, one river. You know, with the kingdom of God there's one river, but there's many streams. So what is our unique contribution? This stream that is the vineyard? What is the, the calling that God has put upon us? And so we're we're uh, we're just leaning into that. and We'll talk a little bit more about that when it's over. We do have books um, on John Wimber that are actually, for the most part, they're collections of some of his writings and the things that he kind of pastored into the movement. And uh, we have a, a, a John or Jason Shatraw, He's He's actually up at family camp with his family this weekend. But Jason is an author and publisher that has done quite a bit of stuff, both inside and outside of the vineyard. And he actually collaborated with Vineyard Resources to put out two books. He's got another one coming this this, uh, Christmas. And, um, and so his books are going to be available. Pastor Mike's going to be selling them uh, out in front of the bookstore this morning. And so if you would like to pick up one of those John Wimber books uh, after the service, they're going to be available. So having said that, this is part two. If you didn't see part one, you can find it on our website. Um, it's the story of him uh, becoming saved uh, from being uh, one of the members of the Righteous Brothers, actually. So that's where he started, and this is where he went.
1: Well, from that point on, you, you would think it would get easy, but it got weirder. Over the next few years, I was incorporated in the church. As I, as I was, I was constantly witnessing and sharing with my friends. Hundreds of people came to Christ. We filled this little church up, and it, there, there was harmony at one level. I mean, the people were lovely people. I want you to know that. But they just didn't know how to relate to these newcomers. They were not homogenous with them. They didn't relate well to them. The newcomers had a different lifestyle. They had a different value system. You know, I I thought we were supposed to catch them and that we'd all clean them together. I didn't know that they wanted them cleaned before I brought them home to church. (laughs) But over a period of time, that became evident. And there was tension over that all the time. And I remember one day, a a lovely lady, one that I had a lot of respect for, but had, had grown up in that church. One day, she stood at the back door of the church Tears running down her face, her chin trembling, and she was just violently angry with me. And she said, "You've ruined my church." And I looked at her and I thought, "That's the truth. We've really messed your church up." And I and I stood there and I started crying with her, and I put my arms around her and I said, "I really love you." And I, I said, "I I feel your pain. I, I I understand your confusion." But I said, "What can I do?" You people took me in, you embraced me. And could I leave the rest of them out there, dying and going to hell? I had to tell them about Jesus. I had to tell them what you've given me. And she said, I know, I know. It's just that change is so hard. It's so hard. And we wept together that day. And I've never forgotten that. I've never forgotten her pain, because she was a lovely lady that loves the Lord. But all of these strangers, all of this change, all of these new people coming in had frustrated her and served to ruin the church that she loved. It had become a new church, a different church. Over the next few years, it grew larger and larger until it became one of the larger churches in the denomination. We relocated and built a big facility and we were very proud of it, inordinately. I think sometimes I was even... Uh, Carnally connected at that point. I just I was very proud of that church. Not only the facility, but the people One day I'm walking along in the church. This is several years later I'm now a pastor been ordained for about three or four years Had some visibility in the denomination and outside of it had helped plant other churches and was you know recognized in the community and and in a very nice position in life and I'm walking along, and I had just had this exchange with a young man in the church who I had, had to set straight. Because he hadn't, been a, he hadn't been coming to church regularly, and he came to me, and he was confessing a problem that he was having. And I said, you know, you wouldn't have this problem if you were just in, in the church more often. You need to be at church more often, and you need to learn to give, and you need to learn to be more involved. And, you know, there's some work and some service here that if, I, if you just get in connected with that, you... And I, I preached him the party line. I laid it out for him. I said, you need to be here, man, if you're going to get this stuff straightened out. Now, I did it with a good heart and a good intent, but I preached in the party line, and as I was walking away from him, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, John, would you go to this church if you weren't paid to? Now, you've got to understand the context of this. This is years later, and this is my church. I'm the pastor. Along with another, we were co-pastors. But it was my church, and every I mean, my thumbprints were all over that place. I helped design the building and select the colors and led most of the people to Christ that were there, hundreds of them. It was my church, and God spoke to my heart and said, if you weren't paid, would you go here? And I'm walking along, and I started walking slower and slower, and I thought, no way. I don't like this place. And it was a moment of revelation for me. And I suddenly realized that I was doing something I didn't even like. And I went, I, it was so staggering to me, I, I hurried off into my little office there, and I sat down and I thought, and, and, and in front of the, my desk, and I thought, what's wrong? What's wrong? Now, if I want to tell you something. There's two or three prayers that God always answers. And one of the ones that he always answers is, God, what's wrong with me? If you don't want to know the answer to that, never ask it. But I asked it. I said, God, what's wrong with me? And boy, did he unload. He began showing me how I'd gotten caught up in administration and machinery, and how I'd become so mechanical and manipulative, how I'd come to a place where I loved the institution more than the body of Christ, how I'd gotten to a place where I was Angered and frustrated by those that wouldn't fall in line and and take their rightful places and and honor their and respect their duties and and all. And at the same time, I had uh, earlier on defended those same people as when I was so active in converting them. And I'd come to a place where I was so institutionalized myself and so tied into its values, to its focus, that I was the worst of all the offenders and I sat there and I began sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and I said, Oh God, what's wrong? What, how did it get this way? And he began showing me just piece, piece after piece, point after point, showing me how I had turned away and turned away. Again and again the Spirit of God had spoken to me and I had turned from the Spirit and went after the things that I thought were logical and right and orderly and those things that would prosper and those things that, would, that could uh, easily be adapted into the institution, into the organization. And i had given myself over to the things not of God, but the things that were like God and for God. And I had in the process made the institution and my ministry God, and He had, was no longer God at all in my life. When I, as I recognized that that day, God began showing me out of the New Testament various scriptures and showed me the relationship and the difference between the church as I knew it, the church that I had made, and the church that He made. It wasn't until years later that God spoke to me profoundly on this subject. But I understood even that day that I had begotten something that was not of God. And I cried out in my agony and I said, Oh God, get me out of here. Three weeks later I was gone. Uh, Nearly 13 years I'd been there. Three weeks later I was gone. God opened the door for me to begin working at Fuller. Uh, seminary. In the founding organization under Charles E. Fuller, during his lifetime, he established an organization called Fuller Evangelistic Association that has since been uh, altered to uh, Charles E. Fuller Institute for Evangelism and Church Growth. But during the time, this time in 1974, I began working for the Fuller Evangelistic Association and developing a new department called the Department of Church Growth. Now I had become somewhat expert in the general field of church growth without having at that time been exposed to the larger body of literature. But just through instinct and basic knowledge and know-how I had figured out the, the mechanics of helping churches grow. It could have worked on the Kiwanis Club as well as the local church, but these were just basic social understandings that I had developed that helped organizationally to achieve the ends of that organization. It was redeemed at the point that I would have only done it for what I thought was Christ's work, but it was, all, it was uh, incomplete at the point that I had become uh, adept at doing something that I could be paid for. It. it was rather mechanical. Over the next few weeks and months I became uh, uh, acquainted with the literature of church growth and became very committed to the basic uh, teaching as well as philosophy, and in that process of doing so I, uh, and, and be dev- I began developing the uh, con- consultative ministry of Fuller Evangelistic Association Department of Church Growth. During the next three and a half years, we worked with churches all over America and Canada, primarily the United States. We ministered to about 40,000 pastors during that period of time in seminars such as the one you're in today. Over, the, over that period of time, we worked with 27 denominations and nine parachurch organizations. And I became thoroughly acquainted with airports and motels and the church in America. And I found out that the church in America was not all that exciting, not all that stimulating. A lot of wonderful people, sincere people, godly people, but not doing much in the way of Bible kinds of activities. And after about three and a half years of traveling across the country and, and helping churches grow that didn't want to grow, and that's the truth, working with people uh, in ways and means that, 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 that God would give me... Uh, you see, one of the tragic things was I was operating in spiritual gifts all the time, but I didn't know I was operating in spiritual gifts. I would go into a fellowship or into a community, and I'd think, this is the way you're supposed to start the church here. I'd know exactly, I'd know weeks in advance how to, how to begin the process, who to go see, what to do. I could tell them where they ought to locate their facility and not by some natural means, but by supernatural means. And what I was doing was selling the gifts of the spirit in a very, well, illegal way. It's not that it was wrong to do what I was doing, it was the way I was doing it and with the motivations that I had. And God began correcting me in the process. And over the next few weeks and months, uh, beginning in 1974 and continuing through the early part of, uh, latter part of 77, God began dealing with me fiercely. And I, became, I got to a point where I was almost spiritually bankrupt. I was humiliated and broken inside, worn out. I could do my job and I did it well, but I was in, uh, bankrupt inside. And one night on an airplane, flying towards Detroit, I found myself in a desolate place, and I began crying out to God. And I said, oh God, what's wrong? What's wrong with me? Here I am trying to serve you, but it's, it just doesn't taste good. I'm tired, I'm worn out. The doctors say I'm going to die. I'm, I've eaten myself into the grave. My blood pressure's so high, I, I, my head throbs constantly. I'm worn out. Uh, from standing long hours and lecturing, I'm tired of talking to people. Here I am going to Detroit, I don't even know anyone in Detroit. My wife and family are at home. What happened God? How did it get all twisted around from God I'll serve you to this? How did I get here? And I began weeping before the Lord and asking him for direction. When I arrived in Detroit, I I had missed an earlier plane, and so the people that were supposed to pick me up had already gone home thinking I was coming at a later time, which I did. Uh, I needed a hotel room. God provided one in a matter of minutes. I've never, never had that happen before in any large city. But within 20 minutes, I was in a hotel room. And I was so grateful that for the first time in nearly four years, I opened the Bible to read it for myself. I'm not saying that I wasn't in the Bible every day. I read it constantly, but not for me. Just for information, for teaching, for things to give to others. And I sat down and just opened it casually, and it opened to Psalm 61. And as I read Psalm 61, I saw everything I had just prayed about written out. And I realized how desperate my soul condition was, and i knelt down on the floor by the bed and I said, Oh God, here I am again. What's wrong with me? And I fell asleep in that position before he could answer me. After a while I grew uncomfortable, woke up, crawled into the bed, fell back asleep, and I don't know to this day whether I heard an audible voice or not, so you do what you want to with it. All I know is it woke me up. A couple of hours later I heard God speak to me. I woke up And I realized he had said, John, I have seen your ministry. It was sort of like this. You You could read it in the timbre of his voice. And then he spoke very lovingly and very compassionately. And he said, and now I'm going to show you mine. And I just let out a yell, and I said, oh, Lord, that's what I've always wanted and I just wept and wept throughout the night. The next morning I got up and I don't know what had happened but things were different. I knew they were different, similar to the time when I was converted. I just knew they were different. I knew that I was beginning an adventure. Over the next few weeks and months, God began doing things in my life that I would never seen before. In all my Christian experience, I had not seen anything like this. Just a few weeks later, I was at a conference up in the northern part of California uh, ministering that weekend with a, with a colleague, a brother, uh, named John McClure and he was preaching on spiritual gifts and he had a, a bent and a viewpoint I'd never even heard of before because John had had a charismatic experience and so he had a viewpoint that I'd never heard before but that wasn't really the focal point for me that weekend. The focal point came in the package of a little gal about five foot three uh, that weighed almost as much as I did at the time, God bless her, and her pastor came up to me on the second day of the conference and said, John, I've got a gal in my church. This, my, this pastor was a friend of mine named Ray that I greatly appreciated. And he said, John, I've got a, a gal in my church that has a word from God for you. I said, All right. Come on, man. I was a marriage and family counselor, you know. She's in midlife crisis, sex life poor, role change, you know, kids are out in the nest, you know. He said, well, she's all of that, but if she says she has a word from God for you, she has a word from God for you. I believe that. I've known this woman for 10 years. I said, oh, come on, man. I want to be your friend. Don't tell me that. He says, honest. He said, well, I said, well I'll think about it. Well, he wouldn't leave me alone. Every time he saw me, the rest of the day, he would come up to me, well, when are you going to see her? When are you going to see her? Finally, I, to just get him off my back, I said, all right, I'll meet her up in a prayer glen the, this afternoon at, at 1.30 well about 1.30 I'm waddling up to the prayer plan and here comes this gal and she gets there just ahead of me and she sits down on this uh, stoop uh, tree, you know, tree trunk and sits down on it and she begins crying I thought, oh no we're going to have an incident this is, this is bad this is bad and I'm standing there going like this and she proceeded from weeping to sobbing <sighs> She's crying harder and harder. Half an hour goes by. Finally, in total exasperation, I stopped her. I said, Listen, lady, your pastor said you had a word from God for me, and I've got to be back down the hill in a few minutes to, to conduct this afternoon session. What is it? And she looked up at me, and her face was all tear-stained at that point, and she said, That's it. And it it was like a gigantic blow to my solar plexus. I I, was—I mean, believe me, I had figured if God was going to speak to me, He could have spoken to me about any of a hundred sins. I mean, I had a long list, you know, and I had a rationale for each one of them. And I mean, I I was prepared for that. But when 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 I—when I—when I—I mean, that bypassed my barriers, my filters. When I realized that God. Was sobbing and weeping over me. Well, I, I'm telling you, I wandered out of that glen, my, my head just spinning. I, I missed the afternoon session. I just walked around. I was just stupefied. God is weeping over me? God is weeping over me? And as I wandered around, I finally got myself together. And you know how you do with experiences like that, you shake them off. You see, it was, a, it was not a verbalized thing. If he, she'd written out a message, I, I couldn't have shaken that off. But you see, it was an emotional thing. And, and we're not supposed to respond to emotion. We do, but we're not supposed to. And, and so I, I finally said, well, this is weird. I mean, that lady, that, that couldn't be of God. And so I, I went on to the, to the dinner hour and then to the evening session. And at the end of the evening session, I look up and here she comes. I thought, oh, no. And so I headed towards the side door. And just as I'm getting to the side door, she grabs my sleeve and she spins me around. <laughs> and I wanted to <laughs> bop her one. And, and I looked at her and I said, what do you want? And she said, God wants to know when you're going to use your authority. I said, authority? Authority? What do you mean? I'm a Quaker. What do you mean authority? You know? She says, I don't know the meaning of the messages, I just get them. <laughs> And for the first time, I saw her as a human being, and I thought, oh, God bless you. And here I am, mad at you. You don't, you don't know what you're doing, you poor old. <laughs> so I walked away from her, and again, I shrugged it off. Well, the problem was, was that over the next three days, that woman caught me every time I was going in and out and kept saying things from God. Well, after, the, you know, after four or five or six, and it got up to seven messages, you begin thinking, well, maybe God's on your tail. So I sat down with my wife and we talked him through and she said, Well, it sounds like God. I guess it could be God and but by the time we got back down the hill, you know, and back into harness and into the following week, I had shrugged it off. But the problem was God wasn't. God wasn't through. Yes, sir. (laughs) You don't know, but I'm expecting that all the time. (laughs) And so over the next few weeks, God began speaking to me. Well, actually, he spoke to me 19 different times over to about a two-and-a-half-month period. He spoke to me through counsel of elders and friends, my boss, Pete Wagner. We were flying along on a plane. He turns to me and he says, John, why don't you go home and start a church in your Belinda?" Well, what he didn't know is that God had already started a church, and that was one of the first prophecies the lady gave me. It was the third one, I think. You're supposed to go home. You're going to start a church. God's going to teach you some new things, show you his ministry. I thought, how did she know that? A few days later, I'm in, in New York City. A Lutheran pastor came up to me after one of the services, I, I was, actually it was a Church Growth Seminar. Now you don't expect God to be hanging around a Church Growth Seminar, and a Lutheran pastor walks up to me and says, I, I'm very embarrassed about this, I've never, I've never, this has never happened to me before, uh, but I've written it down here and I just want to give it to you, I, I, just, I feel really... <laughs> and he hands it to me and I, and I look at it and it says, go home. And so, (laughs) he began speaking to us in dreams, in visions, out of scripture, through prophecies, tongues, and interpretation. God spoke to me over a two-and-a-half-month time in 19 different occasions, and at least two-thirds of them were ways I didn't believe in. that he's not supposed to be doing anymore. And I knew something was up. I'm stupid, but I'm not that stupid. I finally got the message, and I came home. Resigned from Fuller, which is a very difficult thing to do, because I was enjoying, at one level, the activity there. I feel proud of the department and glad for my successor, Carl George. I think he's done an incredible job of taking along what we had done in a rather primitive level and refining it, and making it a very acceptable and helpful service to the whole church. But in due course, as I came home, God began teaching me new things. We hadn't been, I hadn't been pastoring very long until God began speaking to me about healing. I was teaching through the Gospel of Luke, and after the third chapter of Luke, if you don't believe in healing, you might as well quit, at least for the next few chapters. And I had to begin teaching healing, and it was the first time in my life I had ever taken it seriously. I really equated healing with uh, charlatanry and and, and foolishness. I I didn't think anybody, any human being, much less a Christian, should be involved in that kind of activity. I thought it was illegal activity. And I just didn't want to have anything to do with it. But here I was teaching through, and I I had a nice little outline of the the fourth chapter of Luke uh, in which uh, I ignored several key texts. And as I was reading through it, God said, that outline won't do. I said, what's wrong with it? He said, well, you've, you've left these out. And I said, I'm not going to put those in, Lord. But over the next few weeks I began teaching seriously for the first time the subject of healing. Now the problem with teaching something is that the people don't know you don't believe it. And they begin believing it before you do. And after a few weeks they didn't want to talk about it anymore, they wanted to start getting healed. And they would begin asking me, when are we going to pray for somebody? I said, oh, no, no, no. It's enough just to believe it. (laughs) They said, no, we want you to pray for us. Well, about the fourth or fifth week, God speaks to me. He says, have an altar call. We're going to pray for the sick tonight, or heal the sick is what he said. An altar call to heal the sick? I did not want to do that. But God told me to. And so I called people forward that day, and we prayed for them, and nobody got well. In fact, some of us got sick praying for the sick. We caught their flus, we got their colds, we went home with their headaches. It was awful. Our prayers would come out of our mouths and dribble down over our chins and just hang there. It was the most humiliating experience of my life. And I went home saying to the Lord, I'm never going to do that again. Well, the very next Sunday, he made me do it both Sunday morning and Sunday night and every week thereafter. After about eight or nine weeks of praying for the sick and nobody getting well, I was fit to be tied. I was yelling, I was angry, I, was, I did all the things I do when I'm frustrated and hurting. And I was yelling at God for the first time in my life, and I was saying, this isn't right, this is dumb. This is dumb what you're doing here. People are leaving the church. Don't you want people to come to this church? You told me it was your church. Now what's the deal here, people? And over half the congregation left in about nine, they got tired. They said, oh, "We don't believe this stuff," and slammed their Bible shut and left. They said, "We're not going to get involved in this silliness." You know, I didn't realize there was such hostility over the subject of healing. I didn't realize I started getting letters, long letters from angry people. You know, you're preaching heresy. You believe that God can heal? I said, I thought I was teaching the stuff out of the book, you know, it's, the, it's in the book, it's, I, I read it right here out of the book. <laughs> but I didn't believe it either. Several weeks went by and God began dealing with me one day. Well, what had happened was I was studying, getting ready for Sunday, and I closed the Bible and said, I'm not going to do that. And God says, either do it or get out. I said, out? Out, Lord, out of the ministry? Out of the kingdom?
2: <laughs>
1: you know, out? What do you mean out? You know? He says, Do not preach your experience. Preach my word. I said, Wait a minute! That's been reversed on me all my life! People have said that. But now you're saying preach something that we're not experiencing. He said, right. I said, this is weird. This is really weird. I don't want to do this, but I don't want to get out either. (laughs) So I preached. Well, that Sunday was the worst of all. I mean, we had a lady that was demonized. We didn't know what demonized people were. We had this demonized lady come up and practically try to undress in front of everybody. I mean, it was embarrassing, humiliating. We're trying to hide her, you know.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's all, oh, you know, weird stuff. You know, I thought, I'm going to leave this church too, you know. <laughs> all the time, God's, every, he's at every meeting. I mean, this, his presence—a lovely presence—is with us, but we didn't know that the presence and the power were the same thing. We'd not been taught that. God hadn't spoken to us, and so the presence would come, and We'd all cry and worship the Lord. Well, it was more like this in those days, and you know,
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: more like that in those days. But I mean, we were worshiping. We were having a wonderful time. For us, it was total abandonment. You know, we were having a great time at that point, and. Just worship the Lord, and His presence would come, and people would weep, and people would be converted. I mean, from the first day, people have been converted in our ministry. You know something? I've only preached a, uh, the kerygma, the, uh, the gospel message, about four times in seven years. And so, I you know, I'm definitely not focused, in, from the pulpit standpoint, on the unsaved. But you know, we've baptized hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of new converts. I'm not even sure how many. I would guess at least 3,000 over the last seven years. So God has been saving people in our midst from day one. But not because we were focused on that, but because we were focused on Him. And as we would come into His presence and worship Him, and gather and collect, and just give ourselves over to worship, He would just come and, and rest on us. We could feel His presence. I mean, that the air would thicken up. We could feel His presence in the room. God was with us, we knew it. But we didn't know that the presence and the power were the same thing. And so we would pray, and we'd pray these pitiful prayers. Oh, God, if you're up there anywhere, if you've ever done anything, anytime, here's a worthy subject. You, know, you ever prayed a prayer like that? You have too. You've prayed prayers just like that. You're just like me. That's what you're like. And I didn't know how to pray either. One time I was praying one of those kind of prayers, you know, and God says, what are you doing? I said, I'm fixing to get this guy well. He says, no, you're not. I said, I thought so. I said, what's the problem? He says, well, the way you're praying. I said, what do you mean? I mean, I had done everything, man. I had, I had claimed it. I would named it. I, had, I, you know, I would have done anything in those early days. I, I explored every theology I had ever heard of. You know? I mean, after you failed 500 times, wouldn't you? And we had failed at least that many times. And was d I was gonna I was gonna do anything, you know. I read every book I could get my hands on on anybody that ever had any success on healing anyone. And so I, we were ready to try anything. He said, he said, Well, the way you're praying, and I said, Well, what's wrong? And he says, Why don't you pray like we did? I said, like you did? And he said, We, us guys. I said, Well, how did they pray? You know, I had never studied that in my whole Christian experience. And I went home that night and uh, got out of the Gospels and just went through and read all the prayers of Jesus. They're really short. See. <laughs> <C. laughs> Rise, pick up your bed, and walk. That's a hot one, isn't it? Here's my favorite. Come forth. Don't you think he did that? Huh? I mean, that separates the men from the voice. Come forth! <laughs> that's a hot prayer. Now, you're going to look pretty stupid if he doesn't come forth. But, I mean, if he does, you know, you're going to look good. You're going to put your picture in a paper and everything. <laughs> and after all, that's what it's all about. Isn't that looking good? Well, in any case, <laughs> then I went home. I mean, after that, I tried to, to adapt all those prayers. Now, it's, it's strange trying to pray the prayers of the New Testament. That's a whole other subject, we'll get into it later. Suffice it to say, that in the early development of the healing ministry here, it was very difficult. We went for nearly a year before we saw the first person healed. The occasion of the first person being healed occurred immediately the night after one of our greatest defeats. Having prayed for somebody for nearly two hours that did not get well, I was an utter... Despair. I threw myself headlong on the floor. I'm, I've never been subject to kind of those emotional displays. I threw myself on the floor and just sobbed. And I hit the floor and I said, Oh, God, it's not fair. You tell us to teach what your book says, and you don't back up your act. Here we are, we're doing the best we can do. It's not fair, God. It's not fair. You tell us to believe it, you you write it down, you keep it for all of these centuries. I read it, I tell the people that this is what you said. I even say that this is what you said you'd do with what you said. And now you're not doing what you said you'd do if I did my part. It's not fair! You know that one? (laughs) You do know that one, don't you? Oh, I was brokenhearted. Cried cried. After a little while I became sort of conscious and I looked around and all my friends were laying there with me. We'd all just been broken up over this experience. One of my best friends named Jim, he's a big old guy, and he was super humiliated. And we were up on a stage. It was in a in a high school auditorium at that time. We were up on a stage behind this curtain, and when he left, Jim walks out, you know, and he steps out through the the curtain and looks back and says, I'm never going behind that damn curtain again. (laughs) and he's upset. He gets home. <laughs> he gets, this is funny. He gets home, and God gives him a verse. You know how a verse will pop into your mind? And so he goes in and opens up the Bible and looks at it and says, The Lord dwelleth behind the curtain. <laughs> Jim is so repentant, he goes out into his backyard and, and sets down in a chicken coop and throws dirt on his head. <laughs> God bless him. that man knows how to repent.
2: <laughs>
1: well, our worst defeat that night, I go home, I go to bed, I wake up the next morning, the phone's ringing, I go to the phone, and here's a new family in the church, and the guy's on the phone, he says, listen, I got a new job, I, 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 I've got to go to work today, this is my, I've got a brand new job, it's just starting today, my wife's sick with a fever, can you come over and pray for her so she'll get well, so she can take care of the kids, so I can go to my new job, I think, I put my hand on. you've really got me into it this time. <laughs> Look what, this guy believes this stuff. He's gonna lose his job. I'll be right there in my best professional tone. Hang up, I get in the car and all the way over there, I'm, I'm talking to God. I'm saying this, this it's still not right. You know, This is not right, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's not right, it's a mess. So I get there and I knock at the door and a guy comes to the door leads me in the house and it, I mean he I thought she would be out in the living room in her house he takes me right straight back into their bedroom. I mean this woman was sick. No woman would let you see her looking like that. <laughs> I and mean, this woman was sick. You know, sick. Sick sick. I mean she was sick and I looked at her and I thought, "Oh, she's sick." <laughs> Not good. Not good, you know. This is not good. This is not going to make me look good. This woman is sick. You know, she had a high fever. Her face was all flushed. You know, and I walked over and I mumbled some terrible. I don't mean. I don't know what I said. I, and, I, and I turned around and I began explaining to the guy why people don't always get well when you pray for them. I did. I, I began explaining to him why they don't always get well when you pray for them. And and he's looking at me, but he's a little bit taller than I am and he's looking over my shoulder and he's grinning. And I suddenly realize he's not looking at me, he's looking over my shoulder. And I turn around and there's his wife, she's up, she's got her house coat on, she's already brushed her hair and she's making the bed. And I said, what happened to you? <laughs> and, she, and she says, I'm well, you healed me. I said, oh no, I can't heal anybody. <laughs> And she says, well, you heal me, I'm feeling fine. You know, would you like to stay for some coffee or something? You know? I said, no, I think I'll just go.
2: <laughs>
1: and so there I went out the door. And I get out of the front lawn and I look up and I go,
2: alright! You know, we
1: got one! <laughs> <laughs> I was so incredibly excited. Oh, I got in the car, and I'm driving along, and I had a vision. It was the first one I'd ever had. And, I mean really clear graphic. And I'm driving along, and it's a beautiful morning. And well, of course, it would be. And I'm driving along, and all of a sudden, over the landscape, superimposed over it, <laughs> as far as I can see. It's what looks like a cloud bank. And it's going all the way across the, the, the sky. And I look at it and I realize it's not a cloud bank, it's a honeycomb. You ever seen a honeycomb when it comes? Yeah. All right, it's dripping. And below the, the, the cloud bank, the honeycomb, are people. And they're in all kinds of different postures. Some of them are very reverent. They're, they're weeping. They've got their hands out and they're catching this honey. And some of them are sharing it with their friends. And other people are coming and dipping their finger in other people's honey. And, and other people are really irritated. You know, you know, trying to get out of this honey. And they don't like it. And, and I'm looking at this thing, you know. And, I'm, and I, I'm so excited. I pull over the side of the road and I'm sitting there looking at it. And I said, God, what is it? What is it? And he said, John, that's my mercy. He says, for some people, it's a blessing. And for some people, it's not. He said, John, don't ever beg me for healing again. Look at it. There's plenty for everyone. John, the problem isn't on my end. The problem is down there where you are. That was one of the most profound and moving experiences I've ever had. And I've never looked at healing the same way again. I've never gone into the, the sick and dying room in the hospital. I've never looked at a child that was in, in desperate condition. I've watched my friends die and prayed for them, but I've never, ever known the desperation of soul that I knew before that moment. Because I know the problem isn't on His end. Our God has, has sent mercy in the Son. He sent his word to heal them. Jesus has come. He brought a message of love from the Father. Healing is here. The problem is appropriating it, getting blessed in it, receiving it. Over the next few days, we'll talk to you about many other aspects of this incredible experience of learning how to move in the power of God. Let's all stand. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these people that you've gathered from the four corners of the earth. We thank you for those from outside of the United States, for those from outside of uh, the Southern California area, for the hundreds that have assembled themselves here. We ask for your blessing on each one, O God, that everyone that would come here would leave with their pockets bulging. Lord, give them everything you gave to us and more. Bless them in every respect, O God. We openly invite you to do all that you want to do here, Lord. We give you this meeting, this time together. We ask for your blessing and for your presence. We ask for your direction and for your guidance, your nurture, your care. Lord, we ask that you would move among us with great power ministering to us at every respect, Lord, that we might leave here energized and excited in the things of Jesus. We're grateful, oh God, for this group that you've assembled, and we ask for your blessing now. In Jesus' name, amen. You like that?
0: I've, I've probably seen that testimony probably a dozen times over the years. Um, Never ceases to impact me, and, and there's there's one line in particular that I just I just love, like it just it gives me goosebumps when I hear him say it, and it's that line when he's in the in the hotel room, and and God says, you know, I've I've seen your ministry, and now I want to show you mine, and you know that's that's at the heart of the vineyard, and and I I, I want to clarify something that John said there at the end because. Uh, you know, this was that was the opening session for what was a multi-day conference, training people how to um, how to to pay attention to what God's doing and and cooperate with Him in ministry. And you know, John said something there at the end that can be kind of it can be misunderstood if not kind of unpacked, which he goes on to unpack that over the next several sessions. And it was that idea that that, that he said, John, you know, my mercy has come; healing is available. The problem is on your end. That doesn't mean that, that God heals every single time. Okay? When, as long as we believe the kingdom is both now and not yet, and, and at the point that that people get healed every single time, that means the kingdom has arrived in its, in its fullness. Um, but, but what we can learn how to do is how to cooperate with what God's doing. And what, what God taught John in the first generation of the vineyard over the, that time was how to discern what the Father was doing. And really that was the ministry of Jesus. Like, you know, when God said to him, you know, I've, sh- I've seen your ministry, now I want to show you mine. One of the things that he led John to was just looking at Jesus' ministry, how Jesus said, basically said, I only do what the Father's doing. And that's really at the heart of the vineyard is saying, how do we learn how to pay attention to what the Father's doing. So that we would be a people, and I, I, as, as we set this up, I said, you know, that, that the, the kingdom of God, it's one river, but there's many streams, and the vineyard is just one stream within this thing that is the river, um, to use that metaphor. But, but there's a unique thing that God has placed on us a unique calling, a unique stewardship, and we believe that, that two of those things are worship and compassion. And so worship is something that, that we, um, we take very seriously. We, and not only as our songs, but, a, but really a lifestyle of worship. The, the, the songs are sort of the representative of that, the, the touch point together. But, but the other side of that is compassion. And it's not just compassion like justice and compassion. We do believe in justice and we feed the hungry and we clothe the, the naked and we, we seek to set the captives free and we seek to be involved in all those areas of justice, but as a people empowered by the living God. And so there's, there's more than we bring to it than just our own natural resources, that we, we bring to it this uh, attentiveness to, to God and say, God, we believe that you're still at work. What are you doing in this situation? And so that's what we've learned over the years, and, and we're still learning it. It's still, you know, we're all in, in this, you know, this training of how it is to to operate in the kingdom of God, but the reason that we chose to do this right now is that we have a school coming up called the School of Kingdom Ministry, and I'll put this slide up real, real quick here. Uh, and we're about to we 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 talked about this at the beginning of the summer, and we we kind of telegraphed it for a while and said this this training is coming up, but now we're getting to the deadline that's about to start and. Um, and the registrations are due. So School of Kingdom Ministry is really taking those, um, those principles and the, that type of practicum where we really believe that God is at work and that we're an ordinary people with an extraordinary God who can cooperate in what he's doing. And we, and, and we can learn how to do that better. We can learn how to discern more effectively and, and move in, in that authority that John was challenged by that little lady in California when she said, when are you going to move in authority? And, and when are you going to operate in your authority? Well, that's, that's part of what this learning is about. And so uh, that school is coming up, and uh, it, we have a, both a morning option and an evening option. They're both going to be on Thursdays, but, but there's a morning session that's offered, and then there's an evening session. It's going to be uh, basically the, during the, the school year. Uh, so September, I think it goes through May. And then there's the tuition and, and there is child care for the evening option, but evening only. So uh, that QR code will take you to the, uh, the form. There's an online form you can fill out if you haven't done that. We had a, an orientation meeting. We had, I think there's probably 60 people there uh, that, were, that, that said, I'm, I'm interested in this. Um, and now it's time to move beyond interest into applying for the program if you want to be a part of that. So um, that's who we are. I love hearing John's story because he doesn't, he's not the hero of his story. Jesus is the hero. Um, God's the hero. We're, just, we're ordinary people with an extraordinary God. But one of the things we believe in the vineyard is that the ministry isn't just for the specialists. It's not just for the pastors or the prayer leaders. It's for the whole body of Christ. Everybody gets to play. And that's what it means to be a people that are equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So uh, if, if that's stirring your heart and that you think, you know, that's something maybe I, I want to learn to grow in that. And, and maybe it's something that you have practiced and you just want to go deeper with it in, in a group of people that's going to be like a kind of a cohort learning environment, then we would love to have you be a part of that. So I'm going to close in prayer. And um, we are going to make a little bit of space for that today. Uh, we don't, you know, don't want to just talk about this and not have a chance to actually practice it so uh if you came this morning and uh and you would like somebody to pray with you uh what what we'll do is we'll we'll just pause we'll say god what do you want to do in this moment and and we'll try to pe- try to be attentive and discerning and um and step out in in the authority of of that god has given to us so um so as we close this morning i'm just going to invite you uh would you go ahead and stand and um, if you would like prayer this morning, uh, if you just wanna come down to the front rows up here and just spread out across the front rows anywhere that, that there's some space and um, various people who have been growing in this, um, this type of kingdom ministry, we would call it over the years, you're welcome to, would you come and just be a part of that praying? And uh, would you just pay attention to what God's doing and invite that? So Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for, our, our story. But Lord, we don't want to see it just be our, our history or the story that we tell from 40 years ago. But Lord, we want, to, uh, we want new chapters in this story. We want to be a part of what you're doing today. I thank you for the things that we're hearing, even this last week where we, we heard of uh, somebody who came in for, who asked for prayer and for, uh, for AFib in, in her heart, and that you, you healed that. And so Lord, we thank you that you are still at work today, and we want to see more. Lord, we want to see you do what only you can do, and we want to be a part of it. And so, Lord, would you teach us, would you continue to teach us how to recognize what you're doing? Would you give us hearts that long to be a part of what you're doing here in our community and as we move out into our world to, to carry your mercy and your kindness out into the world around us? That we would be a people who, natu- who are naturally supernatural and simply... Um, believe in your kindness and your goodness and your power and the fact that you are making all things new. And so Lord, we, we offer ourselves to you as, uh, as John taught us to pray that we would be changing your pocket for you to spend as you see fit. As we go out into our week, into our, our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces, our friendships, Lord, may we be changing your pocket for you to spend as you see fit. We ask for your, your uh, anointing on the School of Kingdom Ministry. Lord, we pray for just a fresh uh, outpouring of your presence. Would you teach us again, Lord, um, how to be a part of what you're doing today? In our time, in our place, Lord, what you've done before, would you do it once more? Do it again. We trust you. In your name, amen. All right, if you would like prayer this morning, if you would just come up front, we'll, we'll just uh, have some open time of prayer. Apart from that, um, go make the invisible God visible and have a great, great week. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.